Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Trojan Venture Podcast. I'm back this week with another solo episode. Vivek had some other stuff he had to attend to, so I'm going to be taking the reins on this one. But this episode is really exciting to me personally because I've gotten to know our guest really well. Um, and that happens because I actually had the chance to work directly for him during my internship this summer. So got to really know uh, our guest on a deep level and really excited to share him with uh, with all of you guys. So to not waste any more time, today we're going to welcome Saad Alam, co-founder and CEO of Hone Health, the largest men's hormone longevity clinic in the United States. As Saad will probably tell you during our conversation, his motivation for starting Hone came from ho hormone optimization issues he faced personally. But even before starting Hone, Saad has spent his career as a serial entrepreneur. Saad previously founded and ultimately exited SightLighter, a technology education company. And earlier in his career, Saad spent time at Health Central and Eli Lilly. Given the incredible opportunity that I had to be able to work at Hone Health this summer, I was able to witness firsthand Saad's incredible leadership and drive and really can't wait to be able to have an engaging conversation with, with him coming up. So uh, let's get him on the phone. Hey, Saad. Thanks for coming on the show. Eric, listen, I'm stoked to have you, and it's so good to see you again uh, and, and in your natural habitat. Yeah, no, it's great to see you again as well. Ever since my internship ended at Hone a couple of weeks ago, I've been, been dying to get you in, on the podcast. And before we kind of get into questions, uh, I want to shout out Hone's upcoming podcast, which is going to be launching, called Hone In with uh, yours truly, Saad Alam. So check out that as well. But for today, we got a lot to talk about. And I want to start with, obviously, Hone is a testosterone first company. Um, and one of the things that people first think about when they think about testosterone treatment is kind of a slimy or shady industry, um, at least historically. And so my first question would be, what has Hone done to kind of combat this reputation? Well, I'm happy that you started off that way. You came right out of the gates and <laughs> decided to, to hold no punches. Um, well, I think the reality is, right, it is a very true statement. Um, and I think that when I first was was told that I suffered from hypogonadism, which is clinically low testosterone, the first thing that flashed through my mind was late night infomercials, back alley and sh shady clinics and basement pharmacists, if I'm being honest, right? And I think that's in large part what popular culture has kind of told us is the, the perception behind testosterone treatment and it's incredibly become stigmatized because you've got all kinds of professional athletes also abusing it. So let's start there. That is a true fact. When we started this business, we basically said to ourselves, whatever we do, we've got to make sure we do everything that's above board and keeps the safety of the patient first, right? And literally that is the number one KPI of the business. So there's a bunch of things that we've done. So one, from a marketing perspective, we spend a lot of time helping educate people and understanding that if you have a clinical need for testosterone, that's the most important. If you have a clinical need for testosterone and you are given testosterone using a licensed physician under very carefully measured settings, 
it can actually change your life. And I would even argue, give you your life and your identity back if you are one of those people that are suffering. And I was in that camp. The second thing is, uh, we are a venture-backed company and we told our investors right out of the gate, we're going to do things up completely above board. And you're probably not going to like the fact that above board means we're turning away a bunch of patients if they don't qualify for treatment. But if you don't like it, tough shit. And that was literally the conversation. And so the way our process, actually, let me, let me take another quick step back. Most other clinics out there, they will literally say, hey, if you want to take testosterone, first thing they'll say is your cash green. And if your cash is green, they'll take it. And then they'll basically say, how much do you want? And so we said, our stance is very different. Our stance is we're going to do some testing up front. We're going to do a 30-minute audiovisual consult with a physician. So it is a deep consultative relationship that you are building. And then we are basically going to say, if you don't meet the criteria that the AUA has put in place for clinically low testosterone or once again, what we call hypogonadism, we're not going to treat you. And I know that's going to make you mad. You're going to probably write a bunch of bad reviews. You're going to probably curse us. But the reality is we don't think it's the appropriate treatment for you. Now, there are other things we could sell you like longevity medications. There are, uh, I'll call it other hormone treatments as well, too, that are better known in the fertility world to actually improve natural testosterone. But we don't give it to someone, period, full stop, end of story. And then the other thing we do is we basically say, just to make sure you should be taking this medication, we're going to make you do a second, what we call a confirmatory test. And yes, it adds more friction to the process, but it really is in line with doing things the right way. And then the other thing that ends up happening, we check a patient's name against a national government database every single month to make sure they're not getting the medication from another place. And then every 90 days, You've got to do another at-home blood test followed by another physician consultation. And you have to do that every 90 days in perpetuity in order to stay on treatment. And so that is the way that we've said, look, if you can do things appropriately by the right clinical guidelines, then we can remove some of that, what I'll call quote unquote sliminess that surrounds the overall category. And for people that are not that familiar with the healthcare space, especially on the D to C side, you've just explained how kind of hone has a very frictionful uh, filled process, right? There's multiple lab tests. How does that compare to other D to C brands in the space, such as kind of like Hims and Hers in a row? Are they, is that why they're not doing testosterone? Could you kind of go into that comparison? Sure. So Hims and Row, two terrific companies. But I think that the their fundamental approach to care is very different than ours. And they kind of what I'll call are the first version of telehealth, right? They are, hey, let me prescribe you a set of, I'm sorry, let me take another step back. They are, if you have some very easy to understand symptoms, hair loss, erectile dysfunction, maybe some mental health problems or some dermatological issues that you can see, let me go ahead and hook you up with a physician asynchronously, meaning via text message. So you're never really talking to them one-on-one. -on -one. And let me give you a series of check boxes that you can just click off based upon your symptoms. And then that physician, while they're maybe at home on their couch, they can say, yep, this patient looks like they kind of have ED or hair loss. I don't have to do any testing. I'm going to press a button and I'm going to prescribe for these patients. And guess what? They're going to probably get the medication for 12 months. And the only other time they need to see me is 12 months from now if they want to get that medication. And Rose gone a little bit further in and they kind of do a little bit of at-home blood testing, but 
they haven't figured out how to attach that to care per se. That is what I'll call a very fast moving acquisition business. I put out a bunch of ads on Facebook, Instagram, Barstool, and I see how many patients are willing to acquire my product. And I want to put those products in their hands as quickly as possible. Ours is arguably the most difficult therapeutic category because to your point, there's just so much friction. It's not a fun process. I mean, the very simple fact that I'm sending, I'm pricking my finger and it's not just your blood doesn't just naturally come out. Like you've got to squeeze your finger. You've got to make sure that you get eight drops of blood out. And then the consult is, it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, as guys, if I were to, if I were to walk up to 10 guys and say, Hey, do you got a problem with erectile with our, do you have any challenges in the bedroom? 10 out of 10 would say, no, no, everything's perfectly fine. Now here's the reality. Four out of those 10 guys all have problems now. Like that's a really big number. So then you've got to go into a doctor's and then you've got to admit all the things that are wrong with you. My wife doesn't, or my wife for my partner doesn't like me anymore. My kids can't stand me. I can't stay awake. I feel like life is not fun anymore. I can't earn more money at work because I can't concentrate. You were admitting to all the problems that are wrong with you. So that's another point of friction. Then there's the additional blood test. And so what we basically said was, we're going to focus on solving the hardest problem because once you solve it, it opens up a door to expanding into other really complex therapeutic categories. And the other thing that we found, and this number is almost like unfathomable, is because there is so much variation in the patient's journey over that first year, there are actually 31 million permutations in the patient's care journey, right? And so it's not as easy as just text message, couple check boxes, send the product. It is deep longitudinal care that requires a lot of heavy lifting from the opposite side to make sure the patient continuously gets care. And I guess this might sound academic, but one thing that is always told to us in our entrepreneurship classes is that when you're looking for a problem to solve, always start with something that's affecting yourself or the people around you. And as people may know um, from the beginning, uh, when I kind of introduced you and Hone, you obviously had a personal kind of reckoning with your own testosterone and then trying to find treatment. What were some, when Hone is first kind of getting started, what were some kind of early signs that this model was kind of going to have product market fit and there was going to be able to be growth in the category? So we launched the company March, 2020, right when COVID hit. Most people's businesses were falling apart. Ours was probably in a place where it was, I would say all the stars were aligned in order for this business to be successful. You got a bunch of guys sitting around at home thinking about all the problems they have and obsessing about their health because we don't know what the health COVID actually was, right? So that was like a, a positive thing. The second thing was no one could leave their house. You all have, I mean, I, I lived in New York City and for almost two years, I didn't leave my apartment. And so then we had those two dynamics really working in our favor. And so we started selling these at-home testing kits. And the at-home testing kits, the acquisition cost was very low and lower than, I would say four times lower than we would assume it would be. And then once they had the consult, the total percentage of people that were willing to pay $200 per month in cash out of pocket and go through this horrible process, right? And so it's it's not pleasant right now to prick your finger, but in the early days, 
you know, when you're starting a company, you don't really have anything automated. You don't really have the best lancets. You don't have the best customer service. You don't have the best of anything. And when we saw that the kits were flying off the shelves and regardless of how bad that process was, they were still subscribing to this treatment. And then they would start writing us things like, man, I hate the process, but you guys changed my life and you gave me my family back. And then when you started seeing it time and time again, then you started saying, okay, there's legitimately something real here. And then when you saw the retention of the patients because they didn't want to get off the medication, um, then you know, okay, this is actually something they need in order to actually live their life. And then I would argue the single biggest insight we have from this whole business, forget about a beautiful website, forget about a bunch of fancy packaging. The single biggest insight is if you can get medication to the patients every single time on month and make sure you don't cause anxiety with them of where is my medication is, is it going to arrive? If you just do that, you win. It's actually that simple. And when we started having some delays because of COVID and the US, the US Postal Service shut down and patients were literally losing their cool because right, we're now 40-year-old hormonal men that don't have the meds that allow us to be ourselves. Then we said, okay, there's something very real here. Like all those combined factors have told us we got to keep on going. And no matter how hard the business is, we were going to just deal with all of the paper cuts and we were going to just make will this thing into existence. And I guess shifting a little bit, before starting Hone, you founded another company, SiteLighter, which was in the education technology space, and that ended up being acquired in 2017. And so I was wondering, now that you've had a few years at Hone, what were a couple of lessons you took from you know building up that business and getting it acquired that you've taken now to your time at Hone? Oh, wow. There, there's so many. Um the first time around, I was really obsessed with creating a beautiful product, which is important. But I think the thing I learned was if you can get the product in people's hands faster, even if it's not perfect, way better than focusing on product. So I think I focused on distribution out of the gate. If you, the other one was I used to always. I take everything very seriously and I work harder than most people I've ever met, but I actually don't take myself seriously anymore. And what I mean by that is the first time I built a company, everything was on fire and there were so many problems. And every time there was a problem, I would, you know, kind of lose my cool. And it was during that company, I started meditating and, and learning how to separate myself from my emotions. And now if you look at the total number of things that break on a given day or the total number of problems I constantly have, I just don't ever get rattled. And I think that being able to maintain my calm throughout building the, the process has been a huge boon to my mental health and also making sure that I can take keep myself in the top physical condition in order to run the business. But I would arguably say the single most important thing, the single most important thing is I was probably the smartest person at that business and I'm not that smart. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is like, I can chase a lot of things down. I can consume information fast, but I was a, a little bit more of a generalist per se. And 
I also didn't have the wisdom and experience of people that have really focused on one part of a business and gone deep in it. And so when I built this business right out of the gate, I basically said, what are the skill sets we need to build this business? And who are the people that have done those better than anyone else? And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to beg them <laughs> to come work with me and not for me. And that might have been the single best decision that I ever made because, right, the reality is the company is not successful because of me. The company is successful because of the people I work with and how seriously they take it. And I would say the other thing that was really important to me was um, I didn't understand culture as well as I did the second time around. And so the kind of person I am is I, I love doing the work myself. And what we basically say is we as founders love playing in the dirt. And that means you have to, we get so much joy and satisfaction from getting the hard work done ourselves that you have to rip it out of our hands. And when I knew that that's the way I'm cut, and if I put my or surrounded myself with people that didn't like the same thing, I would, in my mind, be a little bit frustrated and probably call them lazy, if I'm being honest, because I want to be around people that are like me because steel sharpens steel. And so when I when I got when I brought on um, Matt, Stuart, Alba, Seth, Zach, they're all the same exact kind of people. They are so obsessed with their craft and they're so, can I swear? Because uh, I'm going to swear because this is how real it is. They're so fucking good at what they do that when we came together, it just worked very well because we all had the same mentality. And to this day, we still have the same mentality. So we're hiring a bunch of executives right now. And the first question I ask, and I shouldn't say the first, one of the main questions I ask is tell me about your approach to work and the second someone says, well, you know, I really like, I really like managing people and making sure that, uh, you know, I, I help them grow. And I'm like, yeah, but, and I really love, I hate, I hate this one. I love working smarter, not harder. And I'm like, no, you got to work smarter and harder. And so I think that was really, if I had, if you had to boil it down to anything, it was smarter people around me. And I had really smart people at the last company. Um, my prior co-founder, he was unbelievable. But this is just a whole different, at a whole different scale at this point. And it kind of leads perfectly into my next question I had for you. And this could be, you know, a leader on a company level, it could be on a personal level. But let's say when you were first going out and finding who you wanted to kind of co-found this company with, what were the kind of the main traits or characteristics that you looked for, other than just being hardworking, those kind of, what were some special things that kind of differentiated your co-founders? Uh, the, the big one is, is humility. And what I mean by that is, um, I want you to be a meat eating. I'm going to run through walls, chase down my objective kind of person, but I want you to, <laughs> I want you to say, Hey, look, I'm probably going to be wrong half the time I do that <laughs> or some serious, because that's, that's the reality of what I am, right? Meaning I'm really good at coming up with an idea that logically makes sense, chasing after it. And as I'm chasing after it, I'm smart enough to realize I don't know the answer. And so I have to constantly be willing to accept new information and change my, change my views. But once I know my answer, I know my answer. And so I would say it was really important that everyone we worked with is very collaborative and has humility, 
right? So that's a very important because it's really hard to create good working relationships if people aren't open to uh, expressing what they don't know. So that's one. The other one is intellectual curiosity. I love people that say why, and we all say why. And I would argue one of the things we do really well is we're really good at challenging each other in a very safe way. So when we hire people, we always tell them, we want you to fail. And they're like, what do you mean we want us to fail? Like, that's crazy. We've never been at a job where you want us to fail. And I said, listen, I like when you come up with hypotheses that are good, well thought out, because you were always asking why, and we will give you the, we will give you the, uh, the bandwidth to go out and try it, assuming it doesn't hurt anyone, right? Uh, and it's done in a very small scale. And if it doesn't work, it's all good. Like no harm, no foul. You'll actually get the points for trying to, for trying to uh, do something that's probably a little bit less, less wealth or a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit non-conventional. So intellectual curiosity was another big one. This last one's also going to sound silly, but I am insanely close with my family. And I think that at the end of the day, I do all of this for my family. And so it was very important for me to understand people's relationships with their family as well, too. Because if they don't treat their family well, they're not going to treat me well. <laughs> or if their mom doesn't like them, high probability, like, there's something wrong with your character. And I think, you know, it comes back down to, uh, to a tremendous amount of culture. And then I think the last one is, um, right, business is a weird place where you have a personal relationship and you also have a professional relationship. And the two of them kind of meet in this place that is a gray area and very often can cause friction if you're not open to having very real conversations. And so we were looking for people that were very willing to have real conversations and not take it to heart and be able to practice like radical, radical candor. And also I think the, the, what I'm trying to get to is, uh, they strive and they have good habits built in for creating high quality relationships because the reality is we don't know anything we're doing. All we have is a, a bunch of guesses that are based upon data points. And if you don't have the relationships in place to figure out how to work through those guesses, I think that creates a lot of friction, which is something we've done well, I think. And I mean, I can say from firsthand experience that I would say that all those characteristics that you brought up about the home team would be true. And I think one of the most important things about having a great team is dealing with adversity, like all companies do. And so I guess in the way that you're the most comfortable sharing, what are some challenges that Hone has faced from a business standpoint over the last year or two that you guys have kind of overcome? You know, what were some kind of roadblocks that you guys had to kind of dig deep and, and then kind of get through? Two years ago, one of our suppliers called us and said, we can't sell you any more testosterone. And we said, well, why is that? And they said, because we pushed up against a federally mandated cap that we didn't know existed because we've never had a customer uh, purchase so much from us. And because of that, some percentage of your patients won't be able to get treated. And so 
after we got over the initial shock of, oh my God, that's a huge deal. Like we we love and care for our parent patients and our families so much. I'm sorry, and their families so much. It was okay. How do we fix this problem? And so very quickly, one of my co-founders said, all right, let me go find more pharmacies. My next co-founder said, let me figure out how to plug into them so we can get our patients' products as quickly as possible so they don't lapse treatment. And then the other three of us said, we're going to call a couple thousand patients ourselves and fall on the sword and tell them what is happening, but tell them that we are doing everything in our care possible to make sure they get medications. And I think those are the kind of moments that make or break a team because we didn't even have to argue about it. It was, that's just the right thing to do. And if you can imagine, you know, over a week, the three founders of the company calling the patients and saying like, look, we're hugely sorry. Uh, and we're going to do everything we possibly can to get you medication. One, it's stressful, but two, <laughs> a large majority of those calls, you assume you're getting you're going to get a really angry person, but they're just grateful that you even picked up the phone and made a call because founders aren't willing to do that, right? And I would say that is a that is a setback we got through. Another interesting one was um, one of the prices of the medications doubled overnight. So we had to go find another series of suppliers and something similar happened. Another one was uh, a manufacturer stopped producing one of the products, like the main manufacturer stopped producing one of the the medications you're we selling. So we had to go figure out how to make sure patients got them. But I think the thing that I've learned is I've been through so many dark times or what should be dark times with my team that having watched them push through so many things with such grace has given me so much confidence in our abilities as a team, which is, yeah, throw something difficult at us, we'll figure it out. And I, and I would argue... When I look at our journey, it's been difficult thing after difficult thing after difficult thing. And we've all just kind of raised to the challenge and there hasn't been argument about it, which is when I sit back and think about it and really reflect, like it was all, hey, this is the right thing to do. Like, I'm sorry, you know, you're going to be a late night or you're going to have to give your weekend up with your family, but like, this is the right thing to do. And so I really feel now that I reflect on it, <laughs> I almost feel like hearing like incredibly blessed that that's just the makeup and the, the culture of the team. And we've been, and I would say, cause so many of us are patients ourselves too. Um, and we came to the company because we went through this problem. We really truly care about what we can offer the patients. Yeah. It's, and I, I think I want to take that and shift it a little bit because one of the things that stood out to me, um, and you emphasize this my entire time that you were there, is that Hone is all about optimization, right? From a health standpoint, how can we how can we make you live better, live longer, live more fruitfully? But also really from like a holistic perspective, Hone has really, you could say honed in on the content side of the business. Um, obviously, you guys have a podcast coming up and then you kind of have your editorial column in The Edge. And so why did you think as kind of the leader of, of this company was branding so important for this type of this type of company? So my when I found out that I had uh, these kind of health issues, I was 35. Uh, I'm going to say young, but when you're seat, you're probably thinking 35 is old. <laughs> uh, and and my father 
start. And so when I went through those health problems at 35, I was incredibly healthy, right? You're literally, we're doing a conversation. There's an infrared sauna on one end. There's a hyperbaric oxygen chamber next to me. There's a cold plunge. I've worked out six days a week for the past 25 years of my life. I eat perfectly. I meditate twice a day. Being healthy is a very large part of my identity. And I would even argue that I've worked really hard to engineer a life that gives me maximal joy and satisfaction. I've got a company that is, uh, the first company I built was impact-driven, helping children uh, communicate their thoughts and realize their, their potential. This business is helping men give their family their themselves back, if we're being honest. Uh, we're moving into women's care as well, too. And so everything I do is literally engineered to have impact. Now, when I turned 35, uh, I had all these health problems. I was able to fix them. But had I not fixed them, those health problems would have become very, uh, they would have become life-threatening issues. And I'll tell you, give you, give you a story. So my father learned he had type 2 diabetes when he was 35. And he's incredibly smart. He was a PhD from Stanford. He discovered multiple particles. And for whatever reason, he didn't necessarily believe that this was something he needed to pay attention to because he was so focused on his career. And, you know, the type two diabetes, it went unchecked for years. And here we come from a South Asian family being Pakistani, and we don't really practice healthy eating habits, or we didn't at that age, right? It's like, a lot of carbs, a lot of oil, a lot of sugars in your in your uh, desserts, and you don't sleep right. And so my father's type two diabetes progressed into type one diabetes. And the type one diabetes, he started managing, but didn't really manage well. And then the type one diabetes eventually became kidney disease. And if you've ever seen someone go through kidney disease, it's brutal, man. Like, and it doesn't, and the thing about kidney disease, it doesn't ever get better. It gets progressively worse. And so then watching him go through kidney disease where he was tethered to a dialysis machine three times a week for four or five hours. And what happens with the dialysis is it gets less effective over time. And so it literally, it's like, it sucks life out of you. And then to watch him go through that and then to eventually watch him uh, have multiple strokes. And we as a family spent almost a year and a half in the hospital every day. Like that's just going back to family. Like that's how close we are as a family. If someone's down, we're there. And I literally built, uh, I spent a year and a half of us building home in a hospital on a cafeteria table with my brother alongside of me and an amazing team there to support us, right? And so watching the guy that is like, was my best friend and one of the closest people in my life, like lose his life because of the fact that he didn't take care of himself or, and all, by the way, all this could have been prevented if he at that age had started taking it seriously. And so for us, hone was always meant to be just an entry point, right? It's like, how can we take something that is so difficult and figure out how to nail this? And then it was always, Hey, how do we grow out from that? And so What's important for people to understand is that health is never a silver bullet. I don't care to sell you more testosterone. I care to help you improve your life. And we talk a lot about lifestyle, which is, and I'll be honest with you, right? You come to me with low testosterone. There's certain instances where it absolutely needs, you need to take exogenous testosterone. 
But chances are, if you're a young guy, I'm not going to sell it to you, one. Um, two, if you just sleep better, if you drink more water, if you move, if you learn how to manage your stress, if you eat better, you're going to be fine. And so, so much of what we want to give back to people is telling you there are all these other things out there that don't cost a dime that can help you improve your life. And then what we're basically turning into is we're turning into, I would say, full stop shop that is everything from teaching you how to move, teaching you how to eat right. Testosterone is going to be a very narrow part of that. Right? We're going after weight loss, we're going after thyroid, we started selling longevity medications, we're going after women's uh, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause care. And so for us, it was always a very large impact endeavor, but you got to start somewhere, right? You got to start in the one place that you can build a business from. Well, Son, I really just want to thank you for, for taking the time um, to kind of come on today. And before we go, I, you know, I want to commend you because I think it's very obvious that you have a personal story about this issue and it makes sense why you started this business. But to have other people in at home that may not have ever experienced this also be so passionate and trying to help patients is just kind of a testament to your leadership. So really want to just commend you for that and wanted to thank you again for uh, taking the time today. Yeah, man, well, listen, I, I, I appreciate you and appreciate all the kind words. And really, I can't speak more highly of you and also to of our team, because uh, those are the the real all-stars and all the great work you did this summer. And uh, I'm grateful to be here on this podcast too. And hopefully people got some, some use out of this. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And again, I want to shout out, uh, if you're also going to be listening to this, also listen to the Hone In podcast, which will be coming out October 2nd, um, if that's right. Yeah. Right, good, Dave? good. There we go. Okay, so everybody, you guys can go watch both. Um, but Saad, thanks again. Cool, man. Listen, I appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, I thought that was another great episode. I had a feeling it would be, knowing Saad and what he brings to the table. But really hope that you guys all enjoyed that one as well. Just a, a couple of a few final thoughts. One, I thought, you know, if there was one answer that he gave that's kind of a testament to who he is, was talking about the reason for having five other co-founders, right? Which is kind of an unusual thing for, for a business, especially a venture-backed business. And just how glowing of recommendations and genuine recommendations he gave about all the people on his team and the people that keep Hone running is really just an example of how Hosad uh, treats the entire Hone team and everybody he works with. So I thought that was that was really great to hear. Also, I will be attending um, TechCrunch's flagship event uh, called TechCrunch Disrupt this week in San Francisco. And we'll be hopefully doing a podcast episode. So stay tuned for a special, probably in-person uh, podcast episode that would probably be released next week. But until then, I hope you guys are well, and we will see you all soon.